let it be known that fighting white people is a skill. It's not just something you wake up out of the womb to do. And it's especially not something that, like, you're taught to do in schools. That's not something they teach you in schools. They teach you how to call the police on black people. They teach you how to treat black people like garbage. Nobody ever teaches you how to fight white people. Martin Luther King, and this is very important because I, you know, this is that weekend. Um, Martin Luther King was still, like, in his whole life trying to figure out the right way to fight white people. That's from his YouTube channel, Eramio Frimpong, uh, who was, yeah, and featured prominently in some video that's going viral over the last few days. Uh, yeah, speaking at the University of Georgia some months ago and saying, among other things, some white people probably going to need to die. So we hit 9.05 on Classics of Today, sponsored by Dr. Paul Brown, MD. Uh, those remarks and some subsequent previous remarks caught the attention of a guest we had earlier this morning, Andrew Lawrence. His name was then a University of Georgia student, a graduate now. Uh, he confronted Mr. Frimpong, Mr. Osei Frimpong, at a meeting of University of Georgia Democrats, a sampling of that exchange. You said that every suburban community in Georgia raises white supremacists. How can you possibly say that? You don't know what every white community in Georgia does. That is an extreme statement. That's an extreme statement. I live in one too, and I didn't have the typical heterosexual. Uh, no, I'm talking now. I did not have the same heterosexual experience that people in these communities had. So how can you generalize me into this stereotype when you don't know my experience? That's how it sounded back in September. We, we, most of us learned about this just over the course of the past few days. Nine oh six now on Classics today, and again I, I, I ask in, in complete respect here. I want to make sure I get it right. The pronunciation of your name, Irami Osefrimpong. It's Irami. Osei Frimpong. Irami Ome Osei Frimpong. From California. Yes. From, from California. California. Let me get right to it here. I did, by way of introducing myself, we didn't get much of a chance to talk here. I'm obviously white. I'm heterosexual. I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm a conservative. I tend to vote Republican. I voted for Brian Kemp. I voted for Donald Trump. God willing, uh, we're all still around. When the time comes, I'll do it again. Right. Am I one of the white people who needs to die? I don't think so. I, I, I look, when Heather Hare in Charlottesville woke up the morning to go uh, protest the Charlottesville rally, I don't think she thought, well, I'm going to die today. But it turns out, for the advance of justice, um, she is deceased. She's the woman who was struck by the car. She was the woman who was struck by the car. She did not go out seeking to get struck by a car. She went out seeking to protest against white supremacists. So um, it's just a fact of history that that racial justice often comes at the cost of of white life. It, I mean, slaves asked nicely to be let off the plantation, um, but that didn't happen. No, what's very important, exact um, when because you played my Martin Luther King clip in the beginning, and I I wanted you to finish the clip because at the end of the, the clip, clip I said, goes on to say that, that it was just about to figure it out, and they put a bullet in his head. Once he figured out that we need yeah. to talk about economic um, inclusion, that's when they put a bullet in his head. Now, who's and they? Also, first of all, we prosecuted and convicted James Earl Ray. Who's they? Who's they? I think the animus because I don't because I don't think he would have lasted even if it wouldn't been James Earl Ray. It would have been someone else. The, and also the I think his name was Lawrence. Uh, the the person who confronted me on at, at oh Andrew Georgia. Lawrence yes Andrew yes, Lawrence yes I, I I never said that um all all kids in suburban in suburban Georgia are white supremacists I will say that if I say if if uh you can't be surprised when I run into an Athens native and they're a bulldog fan all right fair you enough you can't be surprised when like that I didn't say that all Athens natives are bulldog fans but if I find someone who's hardcore Florida or hardcore Alabama. And you have found an right outlier. Here. I think that would, no, I would ask them. There's probably a good story there. Hmm. 
there's probably a good story there because Bulldogs are in the water. My six-year-old is a Bulldogs fan. We don't even watch football at home. <laughs> it's just in the water. And so we have to wonder what else is in the water. And I say that because the water is very dangerous. Um, if you look at you know, I, I, I study political theory and history. If you look at the political theory and, and the history behind the lynchings, there are public spectacles. There are families, you know, there are picnic, picnic blankets put out. And, okay, that and, was, no, ago. That was decades ago. Me, no. That was decades ago. It's decades ago. But then if you read the book um, Behind the Mask of Chivalry, it's about the Athens clan. It's written by Nancy McLean about the Athens clan. Because we kept very good notes in Athens. And when they were burning all the other notes, um, somehow there was a cache of, of Athens clan notes that saved. Like it was, it's a great book because it lists all of the institutions. You got the Athens Banner Herald. You got all the churches in town and the pastors. And it's interesting about because the the upper level evangelical, um, the upper level uh, Protestant churches were against the Klan, like the the uh, Episcopalians and the Anglicans, because they thought that you know we can keep white supremacy through the judges and stuff like that. But it was the mid level um, Protestants, the, ba- the First Baptists. The Disciples of Christ, Church of Christ, the Brethren, they were um, hunting grounds and actually great recruiting grounds for the Klan. And so you put that together with the public nature of the spectacle. You have to ask yourself, have we done the work within those institutions to stop whatever drove those people to the public spectacle? Because that public spectacle was, one, very entertaining, but it also... But it also deadened and and turned those people into the quality of sociopaths who are comfortable with black degradation. So if we haven't done the institutional work to actually reform those institutions, and I'm not sure we did. Like at the end of Germany, they put a lot of work into denazification of Germany. We yeah, we're not shoving we get, Jews into ovens anymore. We elected, we erected monuments. So, like, I'm not sure that we did the work to stop the institution, the institutional degradation, uh, uh, the institutional understanding of how to degrade black people. Army Osei Frimpong. Yes. I, I, I would love to. I, I'd love to spend the rest of the day talking about the history of all this. I'm, I'm a history buff. And the we'll spend some more are on still this. With us. But it's I want to talk history. about, well, I want to talk about where we are now, though. I want to talk specifically about you and your relationship with the University of Georgia. There are those who are suggesting it sounds as though the University of Georgia is starting to look at its relationship with you. Let me read uh, the most recent statement from the University of Georgia. The university, it says, has been vigorously exploring all available legal options. Racism has no place on our campus, and we condemn the advocacy or suggestion of violence in any form. We are seeking guidance from the Office of the Attorney General as to what actions we can legally consider in accordance with the First Amendment. That sounds to me, anyway, as though the University of Georgia is considering whether it can or should terminate you as a TA. Yeah, probably. I suspect it is. The question about violence not having any place on the university campus is a little bit dubious because we have an ROTC. And also, I didn't advocate for violence. I was just honest about the history of racial progress. Are you advocating for nonviolence? Yeah. And so far as, okay, so we have to understand about nonviolence. That's a yes or no. Why does that need a caveat? Do you advocate for nonviolence? Insofar as it's a transformative process that depends on the shaming of the oppressors. It's just an open So you're not ruling out violence? No. No, no, no. Against whom? against, against, Against whom? Violence against whom? Whoever the oppressors may be. But if they cannot be shamed, because violence is always going to be a second best option because it's not, it doesn't have the same kind of transformative uh, power that nonviolence does. So the aim is nonviolence. It's just an open question. Have we made um, a white culture that is able to be shamed? Because I suspect the people at those public lynchings would not be talked out of, if I was about to be lynched, of lynching me. 
as you said before on my drive over here, mobs are kind of immune to facts. So there's a way in which we have to create a populace that's actually responsive to the truth, and then they can be shamed, and then nonviolence is, 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 is appropriate. But to assume when there's such a dubious history of the white uh, construction of violent racism that like everyone's going to be amenable to facts and history and responsibility when you have a Supreme Court document that says that we actually don't have to respect the rights of black people. Okay, uh, that's Dred Scott. That's 160, 70 years ago. The that's been overturned. How old is the University of Georgia? The old University of Georgia is a lot older than that. I know. But that doesn't mean that the University of Georgia today in 2019 is somehow advocating Dred Scott as the policy that we ought to be upholding as national law. You have to find me anybody on campus who would believe that. Uh, I think I, I, I think I can meet people on campus who would believe. Well, that. I would be interested in names. I, <laughs> I would want to know who is down there at the University of Georgia who, as a matter of institutionalizing race, is in favor of it. Of ignoring, racism, I should of, say, of, of ignoring the justice claims of black people. Because that's what Judge Scott was about, right? So we don't sure. have to. Who would be? Um, all right. So we have a huge. We have a huge uh, wealth gap in the United States, and, that, and I think that's where this, we have standing justice claims that have not been Yeah, addressed. I wish I was as wealthy as Oprah Winfrey. No, I wish I was as wealthy as LeBron James. I wish I was as wealthy as the guy who owns the Black Entertainment I'm Network. I'm going to have to talk about medians. The median wealth of, uh, in America, and this is by uh, Edward Wolfe. He's a wealth economist at NYU. The median wealth of a white household is 116000 mm-hmm. that, that you take away a few um, durable assets that can't be easily liquefied, but it's about 116000 The median wealth, these are not averages, these are medians. The median wealth is, of a black family in mm-hmm. the United States is $1,700, right? So the problem isn't necessarily the inequality, because I, I don't really have a problem with inequality. The problem is the predatory nature that that inequality, like, expresses and gives rise to because you have one family that has to sell his house on auction and another family who just has a, a windfall. So the question is, how did that happen? And also, it's not just at the medians, but at the, at the higher end, one out of every seven white households is a million dollars, is a millionaire. One out of every seven white households. You can go to Washington Post, just put one out of is every Is that seven a bad white. thing? No, it's not a bad thing. The problem is one out of every 50 black households is worth a million dollars. What should so, the numbers be? Well, the numbers should be closer to equal as, as long as they don't turn predatory. Because right now you have people who, when, when a black baby boomer dies, they have to sell the house for cash um, because they can't keep up with the taxes. And when a white baby boomer dies, you got a lot of people who can buy the house now with that inheritance. That's a predatory relationship because it then distorts the white politics into not actually supporting policies that will keep that black family in the house. So that's when inequality turns into predatory um, relations. And you're going to get an education. I think we're all getting one this morning. Aramie Osei Frimpong, a teaching assistant, University of Georgia, 917. Classics are today, sponsored by Dr. Paul Brown, MD. Uh, that was from his YouTube channel. It's, it's remarks that he's made at a recent meeting. I say recent. It's all the way back in September of last year. We're just finding out about it. That's the recent part. Uh, remarks he made. And a University of Georgia is a Democratic Party meeting, right? You're invited to speak to those folks. Back yeah, I actually gave, a, I think, a rousing talk on why um, Democrats need to talk about freedom. I, and I said, I mentioned you in that in that um, presentation. I said, like, look, the guys like Tim Bryant, Rush Limbaugh, and 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 Sean Hannity, they mention freedom every ten minutes. If you can't tie your policies to freedom, you're just wasting everybody's time. Because we didn't fight for the right to health care. We fought for our freedom. So we need to make a richer um, connection between the way democratic policies actually promote freedom and 
you know, people's lives. And unless you do that, you'll always be second best. I, I understand hyperbole and the need for it. Uh, believe me, I do. Uh, but uh, some of your remarks, these are remarks attributed to you. Uh, right. Southern white people comparing them to autistic kids. Uh, so you have to people read the entire who, People who own, well, I'll let you give it to me. People who uh, own guns, white people who own guns are right. terrorists. They're not hunters. They're terrorists, really? I mean, is the Second Amendment there for hunting? It, it's there for whatever my purpose is. It, it doesn't tell me I can only hunt with my rifle. I might choose to do that or not, as the case may be. I, I may have it. Hunting at all. I may have it for self-defense. I may have it, as the framers probably intended, for use against a tyrannical government. Nonetheless, that doesn't make, at least in my estimation, maybe in yours, it doesn't make white gun owners terrorists. No, but the history of gun ownership um, in the American South is very close to racial terrorism. And same with the history of policing as, as former slave catchers. Like, you can't, you can't, I don't know if, uh, so James Baldwin might have said this the best when he said that, um, you know, white culture, they're just so disconnected from their history that, and they really don't have an institutional or material interest or spiritual interest in actually, like, connecting with that history. I don't think you understand how terrorized everyday black people are of everyday white people. You know that feeling that we assume that white staffers have, white Trump staffers have when they walk into the White House? Mm-hmm. As in, like, my boss is good, but, like, he's also a little bit erratic, mm-hmm. so anything could happen? That's black life well, let, me, let me give you another quote along those same lines. Uh, Jesse Jackson famously said the following. You're probably familiar with this quote. I can't tell you what a relief it is to be walking down a street in the inner city in the oh. middle of the night and hear people coming up behind me and turn around and see that they're white people. Oh. Jesse Jackson Jackson said that. All right. So what we've done as Americans and through policy. Uh, so let me go back. Right now, whiteness isn't about biology. I think we can both. I don't know if we can both agree with that. Whiteness isn't about biology. It's not even about skin pigment. What it is, American whiteness has more to do with the cotton economy, the Klan, and the FHA than it does um, with anything in your DNA. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just, you know, research the FHA. All right, I'm going to give you a chance so because just, you said it. I want you to flesh out that autistic comment just so you can. You said you wanted to put that quote in context. Uh, Southern white people, you compared them to autistic kids. You said I didn't get the whole quote. What's the whole quote? I can't. I don't have the whole quote in front of me, but the whole quote actually puts the whole thing. I can give you the argument. Yeah, what's the argument? Okay, so the argument is that autistic kids have the uh, perfect moral development, moral and ethical development. They just have a hard time reading cues, mm-hmm. so we have to teach them cues. I'm saying that white culture doesn't teach the moral development. It actually retards moral development. This is what I said with the, uh, with the public nature of the lynching. That's actually actively retarding uh, moral development. But it's very entertaining. Some people say, actually, I, I think this show, Rush, also retards moral development, but it's very entertaining. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Very, I guess. No, Thank you for half of that. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're very entertaining. Mm-hmm. I, under, I, watch, I listen to the show sometimes like, more than NPR because it's boring. <laughs> and this is actually entertaining. I don't know if it's making me a worse person, but like I'm open to the possibility that it is. But what I'm saying is that white cultures and those institutions made a historical project out of turning everyday All white right. people Again. into the kind of people who can go to All lynchings right. and then watch the lynching and ritual castration and then be okay with the body parts being picked up. That's fine. And put I, into, I, you, um, you are, I'll, I'll stipulate every historical claim you want to make for the sake of the discussion the here. The institutions are still with Who's us. Who's killing more black kids today? 
black people. Thank you. Because that's not my fault. How is that my fault? Okay, because we concentrated through federal policy, and I mentioned the FHA today. All of America's problems that had to do with race, we turned them from America's problem into black problems while giving subsidies for building white suburban houses. And I say white suburban houses because it's not an accident that they were um, white and suburban. It's because we steered policy towards making suburban houses white and giving white families credits for moving into those suburban houses. And then also... Um, cre- I missed my tax credit somehow. Yeah, I don't yeah well, I'm sure your grandparents didn't. Yeah, if they've okay. been around the United States for long enough, it was part of the FHA program. And, um, yeah, so... I want to get to so something else really quick. So we concentrated all of Americans' problems and all of Americans' degradation into the black community. A right? little bird so that, got in my ear, yes. Mr. Frimpong, Frimpong. A little bird got in my ear and said, listen, this guy is not all that crazy about those white Athens liberals either. Yeah, I'm not. All right, what do you mean? I'm not. Oh, I, I, I think uh, the nonprofit culture, we have what, like 500 nonprofits at the, at the, in, in Athens, 500, 501 nonprofit culture. It makes charity out of what are really political problems. And if we actually want to make the black community whole in Athens, and as long as there's been an Athens, there's been a, uh, a black community in Athens. If we want to actually make that community whole and not just like calcified as a lower caste. Um, we need to get black people into the the economic life of the city, the $8.5 billion that's generated from the economic life of the city. And not How do you propose to do football. that? Well, there are three big ways to do that, right? First of all, you have to look at the places black people work, right? And we do a lot of maintenance work that needs to be done, that we've always done. And used to, we used to do it as slaves, then we did it under Jim Crow. Now we just do it at minimum wage. We need to actually unionize and, and, and pay those people what they're worth because black life in America has always been – Partially a labor problem. <laughs> like the black degradation in America is partially a labor problem. So like instead of saying that all these kids should be engineers, no, we need janitors. We need sanitation workers. Let's pay them. So there's that. Also, um, we need to make sure that black people get into large white companies because there are great white companies in Athens that have been here for generations. But the problem is they're family companies. They've been here for generations. And also, when they were making their bones, um, there was a, they did so in a climate of racial terror, right? So, I mean, the Klan had an active office uh, in Athens up until the 80s, and I have pictures of Klan marches in the 60s. So, like, when these generational businesses were making, were building themselves, and now their grandkids own it, like, black businesses couldn't compete. Let me, so like, I don't want to destroy like... those white businesses, but I do want black people into those white businesses and, and attract in such a way that they can actually... Let's see if we can't make an agreement here. Yeah. Let's see if we can't, between the two of us, let's, let's fix some things here really quickly. We also let need me, black businesses to have right. contracts. Okay, fine. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me try this with you. Because it sounds like, it, you haven't used the word, and I don't mean to put the word in your mouth, but it right. sounds like you're taking us toward reparations. Let me make you an offer. Right. Reparations. You right. tell me how big to write the check. Okay? In exchange, every social welfare program, black White otherwise ends, and it ends now and instantly. Not another SNAP dollar, not another DFAX dollar. You get your reparations and shut up. Social Security? That's different. Why is it I different? mean, I'm fine with that, too. If you want to privatize that, that's a whole other conversation. Well, I'm just saying that I'll, I'll throw that in, sure, as long as we're I'm negotiating. I say Social Security was organized by white Southerners to exclude mm-hmm. black workers. So, right. I, 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 yeah. no, 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 so you're going for the deal or not? I'll give um, you Social Security. You want to go for that? Or put that in there, so we're getting rid of Social Security. Mm-hmm. I don't see why that actually secures people's rights. I think that 
inserts more. Okay, so we just we just right. You want the reparations, but you don't want anything exchanged for it. Well, what, no, I just don't want everything exchanged for. It. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you learned. Where you learned how to do this? You're very good at the entertaining, yeah. the arguments. Yeah. I, I, I feel like you wanted everything no. or nothing. I'm saying not everything, some things. I, uh, like, and, and this is one thing the Democrats don't get too. Like, just give Trump his wall. The guy's a builder. Like, he's going to yeah. get his wall. He was always going to get his wall. Just give him his wall and get what you need from it. Like, I don't understand. Open the government. Like, you're not going to shame Trump. I'm not going to shame you into supporting reparations. I'm not, you're not you know, going to shame Trump away quickly, from Quickly, I mean like Just 10 seconds here. I made yeah. the point with Andrew Lawrence. Let me see if you agree with this. Yeah. At the end of the day, are we in a place where nobody changes anybody's minds? You haven't changed mine. I doubt I've changed yours or would if we talk for the rest well, of the Well, I think I've changed some of your listeners' minds, right? So the idea is this is what, this is what people don't understand about nonviolent um, disobedience. The idea is to showcase your humanity in such a way that when your oppressor shows their violence, it's actually embarrassing to them. So while you might not be embarrassed and great many of your listeners might not be embarrassed, there are others of your listeners who probably think to themselves, I think Tim Burton been, might not have been fair I've today. Been, Butchering it all morning. Please, your name, Irami. Irami. Irami Osei-Frimpon. osei Best of luck moving forward to your stand-up guy for coming out here this morning. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you.